How long have you been back? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got back Monday evening. We landed around seven o'clock. And it's now what time is it now? Coming up to one thirty in the afternoon. So you've been back a bit. You said you've had a sleep. I have a very good it's the one thing I found. Some people like to arrive in the morning and just sort of have a day. I like getting back at night because then you can pretty much go straight to sleep. Right. And you're so tired. Because we were on, there's a few of us on a, a 6 a.m. flight from Melbourne and we'd been up. You're basically up for around 24 hours before you get on the flight. So you're not in good shape when you get on the flight. But hopefully it means you'll sleep at some point or something. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, the twins stayed up, saw me. One of them had made me a little present at school from an ah. old fabric conditioner bottle. Right. And he just kept saying, smell it, smell it, smells lovely, smell it. So I'm kind of my nose in this fabric conditioner <laughs> bottle at eight o'clock last night going, oh, it's really nice. Yeah, lovely. So they were kind of hyperactive and lovely um, and then got them to bed. And I wasn't, I was asleep pretty much, well, I wasn't far after them in terms of going to bed. Uh, so this morning I feel a little bit, I feel a bit hungover, but without the alcohol, you know, I feel a bit sort of, everything's surreal and everything is cold. Yeah, it's a slight drop in temperature because it was climbing, right, in Melbourne. From when you got there, it was just getting hotter and hotter and hotter throughout the two weeks. A slight drop in temperature. We had 43 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> I landed yesterday, it was nine degrees. <laughs> oh, look at how wonderfully grey it is. But I you know what? It. I don't understand that people on flights, so there was some guy and he was flying from Melbourne to London and he's flying in flip-flops, shorts and a T-shirt. Now, firstly... Planes are cold places. They are, aren't they? I don't know about anyone else, but I'm always freezing on a plane. And secondly, you know your end destination is going to be in single figures. So this fella at seven o'clock last night trots off the plane in his shorts, t-shirt, and flip-flops. I'm just like, maybe that's what he wears in January. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe doesn't feel the cold. But it was, it was, it was a little. It was lovely to get back because that flight it just goes on, doesn't it? And on. And on. It's and a on. rough one. It's a yeah. And it's on. Not the way you would choose to spend twenty four hours of your life. And I was flying differently this time. Oh, of course, yes, because oh, they had. <laughs> did you could could you cope being in economy? This, I, this by the way, this sounds so wrong. It's just I, I I've managed to get um get given an upgrade on the way out, which was amazing, and it had a flat bed, and it was all wonderful. On the way back, no such luck. But I did hit economy jackpot. Oh right. You weren't by the loo. The two, I wasn't by the loo, and the two seats next to me were free. Oh, so could you lie down? So, well, three seats. I'm quite tall. I wouldn't say lie down, but I could lean over. And it's one of those that when the doors shut and you've taken off, people start walking around looking for spare seats because maybe they're in a, like a packed row or something. And we were at the front. So as soon as we took off, I started putting things on the spare seats as if there were people there. Yeah, good tactic. Or you, you have to lie down straight away. I put the armrest up and kind of put my feet... Because I just thought, no, no, this is like economy seat jackpot. You can't, It you is, know. yeah. So I had oh, that's to... That's good. I spread out a little bit. And, but I did have a problem with baggage on the way back. Well, did you buy lots of gifts? I did, but they weren't heavy gifts. I purposely bought... So quite a lot of... Because there's this wonderful shop with all the proceeds from stuffed toys were going to the bushfires appeal. So they're kind of soft toys. But they're quite bulky. Yeah, but they're so, they're not heavy. Right, so you had some room for them. Yes. And at tournaments, they give you gifts, which is quite nice. So the Australian Open gave us um, a backpack. Okay, great. Which is really That's nice. Good. A couple of things in it, like um, a cup to keep... your recyclable cup for your coffee and tea. I gave that to someone because I don't drink it. Um, firstly, I couldn't close my case. I had to kneel on it. 
And I didn't understand why, because I, I didn't understand why. And then I got to the airport and I was, I had an extra four kilos. Wow. How many stuffed animals did you buy? <laughs> That's a lot. Not, not that many. And as I put the case on the, on the scales, I saw the figure come up and I thought, I want to get in trouble for this. So I just started talking to the guy, thinking if I talked enough and quick enough, then he wouldn't notice how heavy my bag was and I wouldn't get charged. <laughs> so I started talking about, did you see the final? Wasn't it amazing? This guy's looking at me as if, what's wrong with this person? And I literally didn't breathe and I kept talking just da 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 to the point where he just let it go. And, and off, he didn't even put a heavy sticker on my bag. It just went. Good tactic. Four kilos. Where did it come from? Well, I think people underestimate how much dirt weighs. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> no, but as in dirty clothes weigh more than clean clothes. It's just, it's a fact. No, all clean. No, all clean. Because we had a, a washing machine in our apartment, so everything was oh, clean. Okay, well then it's just on the stuffed toys. You you shouldn't buy 50 stuffed toys. I did not buy four kilos worth of stuffed toys. Did you bring back all your toiletries? Nope. So it's actually more than four kilos you gained because you left a lot of toiletries out there. <laughs> I um, I bought you a present. Oh, thanks. Is it stuffed toy or is it toiletries? <laughs> might, might be might be one of those two things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much for thinking of me. That's great. Which I was going to show it to you during this podcast, but I'm because we're not together, but I'm going to I'm going to give it to you. I don't know what I'm going to see, but at some point I'll give it to you. Okay. So, oh, okay, I'm looking forward to it. But no, it, it it's good to be back. It was it was a great tournament and th there were quite a few of us on that flight from Melbourne. Oh yeah. Largely they were sitting upstairs. <laughs> As we got to the gate, they went through a different one. Oh, but that was you on the way out. I know. I know. It was they were wonderful times, but no, it was. It's it's good to be back, and the tournament. It, it it's crazy though. It already feels like so long ago. It it kind of does, doesn't it? it I mean, what do you have any sort of overriding thoughts? Anything that jumps out? I mean, of course, obviously the the two finals were incredible, but I mean, so much going on in the latter stages. Lots of talking points. Well, again, I knew this would be a bad time to do the podcast because you can't remember because <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't actually. I can't actually remember anything. They, this is a great tournament because you get so many stories and so much stuff happens, and it's it's the start of the year and all the talk about Ash Barty and could she, would she, and surely she's going to do it, and then didn't go as she would have wanted to go and the fallout from that which I know we're going to talk about and, and the new guard are they coming where are the new guard the old guard Djokovic still winning it the temperature one, one day it was it was like 42 43 degrees and we have about a 20 minute walk from our apartment to the tennis and he stepped outside and it was like it, you know when you open an oven door and the hot air flies out yeah it was permanently like that I do not understand how tennis players can go out and I know they had roofs on the main courts and they eventually had to stop play on the outdoor courts but I do not know how players can play in those kind of conditions yeah I mean you, you kind of just get used to it really like I mean I am probably the last person you would expect to be any good in the heat whatsoever of being able to function I'm pale freckly pasty <laughs> I like the gray cold weather I'm from the UK I did not travel much as a child I didn't even play many junior events abroad so I didn't really go to many hot places <laughs> until I started playing professionally um, and I managed to play okay you know look it would not be my choice but 
I think the hottest I ever played in was actually out in Alice Springs at a Challenger out there. And it was kind of high 40s. High 40s. And you were still allowed to play? Yeah, well, they actually didn't have uh, any sort of um, suspending play rules at that time. That's kind of quite a, a new a new thing I think but they might not have had suspending play rules but they must have had common sense <laughs> I mean and high 40s you can't function in those kind of temperatures no it, yeah it was it was really awful I mean it was incredibly dry heat so it was quite different but it was yeah very painful I mean we had the extreme heat rule in so we had the 10 minute break between second and third sets but what, yeah I mean we just should yeah we shouldn't be playing so I'm glad they have the rule that that's it now there's no that you just stop play if it's too hot just like if it's raining or whatever and then that that's it so you're not going to play your best tennis it's an it becomes an insurance sport (laughs) that's for sure yes so weather was weather was a talking point always is isn't it the Australian Open it's true actually but you know what genuinely heat is not as big of a problem as humidity because I mean within reason okay now that we have play does get suspended when it gets dangerously hot it isn't actually heat is not the thing that I think tennis players struggle with the most it's more the humidity just being able to hold your racket you've got to try and dry out your hands you spend ages at your towel your clothes get obviously stuck to you you need to get changed and you know it's very difficult for women to get out of a very like a soaking wet sports bra in a very short period of time (laughs) it's really (laughs) tough actually if you want to like run off the court and change head to toe it can actually take a while and when you have wet clothes that's when you get blisters on your feet when your socks are soaking also the amount of sweat that just pools in your shoes so your shoes become very heavy so there there's so much that happens with humidity that is far worse than it just being hot Uh, as I say now that we have play suspension at a dangerous level because obviously heat can just be incredibly dangerous and no one wants to get involved in that but the sweat is just a pain oh it's just a pain in the backside and then you make the court wet and then you kind of bounce the ball you go to serve and it's just running off your face and (laughs) that's the most difficult so and you don't ever really get that in Melbourne it's a very dry heat I've actually never experienced that you'll be not surprised to learn having <laughs> not played to any level in any kind of conditions but the my my one experience of that was when I was with Chelsea years ago on a pre-season tour and we were in Jakarta so we were in Indonesia and it was really humid and really hot and we had a sort of as it were a traveling there was like a kit to travel in so everyone who was in the traveling party kind of wore the the team kind of tracksuit traveling kit so it all looked the same ish and then but I was doing tv pieces so I had to wear not that kit, wear normal clothes. And I just remember one day we'd done all these pieces out on the on the field. It was pre-season, done everything. And then after the last pieces, which were the post-match interviews, it was kind of like, right, 10 minutes, everybody, back on the bus, and then we go back to the hotel. So I ran into this toilet, a women's toilet in the stadium. It was it was so humid, so everything was stuck to me. And exactly that. I had 10 minutes to kind of peel myself out of one lot of clothes. And sort of peel myself into another lot. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to miss the bus. I'm definitely going to be staying here. <laughs> this this isn't going to work out. And so that would, the only thing I can compare it to is having like a tiny window to change in. And with the humidity, it was awful. 
Yeah, I, honestly, I, I think that actually getting in and out of sports bras should, I'm surprised it's not become like a niche sport. You know how they have like food, like like speed eating competitions and, and that sort of thing. It's like that. How many sports bras can you get on and off, especially wet ones? It's impossible. I'm not that flexible. Like I'm not. This is this is for kind of a, an altogether different channel. <laughs> I'm not sure if someone went forward and said, I want to pitch an idea after a certain time on a kind of channel that maybe you have to pay for a subscription or something. I'm not sure that if you pitch the idea that there's a few things that's that like alarm bells that ring in your in your sport. Well, I've just I've just heard the alarm bells on a slight delay. I didn't actually register the fact that you would be semi-naked for a large chunk of the time that you were doing uh, taking part of this sport and in your sport you're putting them on and off (laughs) so it's not even it's not even (laughs) it's not even time you I don't know to take one off it's like how many can you take on and off (laughs) how did I not realize that you were gonna have to be like (laughs) semi-naked how am I the jet-lagged one yeah I'm having to tell you the massive holes in your proposal for this sport that uh, yeah I mean there might be people trying to get across that it's really difficult you know because you we have men that listen and I just want to explain to them that it is a challenge and actually very often women have to help each other because you're just stuck (laughs) you can explain it without turning it into a sport I mean well okay you can let's say well I think it'd be a really good niche sport I think niche is the word there um (laughs) that would uh Yes, I have to say actually, along the just of playing in hot conditions, and we were doing um, covering the match for for Five Live, the final uh, Djokovic against Team, and yeah. after one of the sets, that was eventful. I was yeah, it was eventful. Djokovic went off um, and had a complete change, came back new shorts, new top, whatever, and then when Djokovic had gone off to have the medical timeout, although we didn't know it was a medical timeout at the time team ran off the far exit because he needed a wee right so off he went at the same time pat cashew was with us he popped out to go for his own comfort break at the end of the set and he came back and he said so on he said i've got a toilet story for you <laughs> and at that point we were all like oh well is this the right time is this the right audience and and he said um he was like i was in the toilet having a wee and all I could hear was heavy panting. <laughs> and he said, he said, there was a man panting really heavily in the cubicle next to me. And we're like, I'm still not sure this is the right platform for this story. Yeah, and, and a our, bit disturbing. And our producer was just looking as if to say, I don't know where this is going. And I have no control over this right now. <laughs> just blind and panic. He's just like, <laughs> turn the microphone off. And we're all sort of, I think they were ready to sort of bring us. Cut like, it, cut it. And he said, and I came out of the cubicle and it was Dominic Team. Oh, okay. And Team had sprinted off. And he was trying to change his top. So Pat was like, he was like, again, peeling off this top and having to change, having to gather himself, having to get on back on the court within the allotted time. And then Pat just said it was so weird. He said, all he could hear was this heavy panting. And then he came out and he said they looked at each other, didn't say anything. And then team ran off. You know, a lot was coming through that match about Djokovic's leaving aside him winning, turning it around, about the medical timeouts and the possible, was it tactical? Does he do it tactically if he's not feeling great or to get himself out of a sticky situation? There was a lot of that rumbling on social media. Where are you? Where are you on that? I, I think it 
blurs. I just think there's no yes or no or right or wrong in this situation. As in, I'm convinced that he did not feel great. Because you know what, especially when you're losing and you're in a final, it's very hot. He's probably been a bit poorly or whatever it is. There's no way he felt 100%. So like calling on the medical timeout or calling for the medical timeout is... He he needs a medical timeout because he's not feeling 100%. But I just think that he's very good at understanding that you have ultimately unlimited amount of... Well, maybe not quite unlimited, but you, you have so far to go in a match. We have the luxury of time in tennis as opposed to any other sport that is on a clock. We are not on a clock. We have that time. You can go as far down as you want and you can just spend as long as you need to come back into the match. It's not a problem. And I just think that he understands that and... He, he took the medical time out, but then once he's taken it, he recognises that he can get himself back on track. He can summon up the extra energy, find the extra level, dig a little deeper. It just takes a, a bit of time. It's almost like he needs to front up to the option of giving up. Because ultimately, no matter who you are, with your Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, anyone you will always have had a situation where you think about giving up. You think about rolling over. And we see players that do it. We see players that throw in the towel in matches. They roll over a bit too easily or they just actually stop trying 100%. And we can see it and maybe they are in a bit of denial and don't know it themselves. But it happens because it's incredibly difficult to constantly demand and demand and demand more. And you need to do more over and over and over again for hours on end, for weeks on end. Uh, Yeah, I, I just think that he's incredibly good at doing that and I think that he almost needs to come up against it he needs to face it right what you're thinking about what your mind is telling you is to quit okay get the doctor on let's have a chat about it let's really think about like is is giving up is quitting is or just rolling over whichever way you want to go like is that really what you want and he's such a champion because he always responds by saying no like no I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm just gonna get back out there and I'm just gonna see it's it's that whole thing Uh, They do it in the military, don't they? Or any sort of ultra endurance athletes. When you want to quit, okay, well, can you just put your right foot in front of the left? And you say, well, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So you put your right foot forward. Okay, well, now can you put your left foot in front of the right? And you say, well, yeah, I can do that. Okay, well, can you do it again now? And then can you do it again? And before you know it, you're getting into a rhythm, into a routine, and suddenly you can run an extra 10, 15 miles. That's what these people do. And I think that it's a similar thing. He kind of hits that point of like, man, I don't think this is going to happen today. I feel awful. Team's playing unbelievable. I'm now two sets to one down. This is, let's get the doctor out. I don't know if I can do it. And I think that's the mentality that he has because everybody faces that. Everybody does. But it's the fact that he so often responds, deals with it and ends up winning. And I've got to say that so much respect for Djokovic, how he manages to do that, get himself out of a dark place within that match and turn it around. And I know there are people saying, yes, but once he got into a fifth, the spirit of team was broken and team hadn't been in that position before in Australia. Yes, he'd had the two finals against Nadal at Roland Garros, but I I sort of don't really buy into that. And team said afterwards that his level was the same. The level hadn't dipped in in the fifth set. It was Djokovic. Yes, he's got way more experience in these matches and that would have come into it. But the way Djokovic played to turn that around and to get Grand Slam title number 17 was amazing. And Djokovic has said at his age and stage in his career, it's about equaling records and breaking them. He's done everything else. He's got the Golden Masters. He's held all four at the same time, slams, etc. He is peaking for these moments and, and for these matches. And 
team was I mean I didn't it, it was sort of banded around at the time but people always said that the toughest challenge in tennis was is beating Nadal in the final at Roland Garros but you've got to say that surely beating Djokovic in Australia is coming close and I know, I know it's been done over the years Chung did it most recently but in the final, he's now eight from eight in Australian Open finals. Yeah, I mean, you got to if if you're sitting down with Dominic Team, if you're Nicholas Massu, and you're you're saying right, let's let's plan out what we're doing here. Probably go for the other two slams that are a little more shared around. <laughs> As in, US Open has actually had a couple of different winners yeah, in the yeah, last decade. Yeah. Maybe you could be one of them. French <laughs> Open, nah. Australian Open, not. I mean, it did okay a while ago, but it's almost recently. It, it, that, as you say, the feat of beating Djokovic in the final of the Australian Open has become similar, not quite the same, but like Nadal in the final of, of Roland Garros. So maybe target the other two. I don't know if grass is really going to be the most suited to teams. So, yes, you know, let's maybe the US Open will be the one where he gets it. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, it, it, it is phenomenal. It's actually just pretty awesome to watch, isn't it? I mean, I, I was sat there watching. I spent a lot of the time listening to you guys uh, for a large chunk of the match because this is the thing with best of five sets matches, matches. They do take quite a while to get through. <laughs> so partly I was driving, so I was listening to you. And then, and then for the last set, I was watching it. And you just you cannot be anything but impressed with, with what he did. I mean, to be in that position, as I say, I mean, really facing the fact that he was going to... He was probably thinking... I don't know if this is if I can do this today. I don't feel great. And then to turn it around to get to that fifth um, team couldn't do it, could he? He couldn't get over the line. I mean, look, there are plenty of others that couldn't manage it on their first few attempts. And I suppose he's you know had three Slam finals. But I agree with you, three of the toughest possible Grand Slam finals. And it has to be a mental gulf, surely, because physically team has the physicality he's an absolute animal <laughs> an absolute beast there we now. go i mean he's always he's always been a bit of a beast isn't he i mean he's always played so much trained so hard he he's absolutely loves it the physicality is insane but yeah he put in a serious off season when i was listening to you guys i mean marion bartley was taking us through it wasn't she on on five live the uh the the is it gladiator training you've yeah. been doing? Gla he was doing in Miami on the beach. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So it's crazy. I mean, physically, he's there. His game is there. But mentally, he's not quite there. Now, and interestingly, I've been having this conversation all weekend because that is so common for players, for their game to be ready, but mentally, they just can't quite get it together. They mentally need to grow up. You're somebody like a Zverev, he needs to mature. He needs to get a grip of things. You know, And I'm only picking him out but it's basically everyone you could go back to Djokovic when he was 21 same thing Andy Murray same thing the only one only real exception was probably Nadal who never really needed to do that even Federer maybe a little bit earlier needed to grow up mentally he's the mentality needed to catch up with the game and the physicality. But how about Sonia Kennan? Are you kidding me? She's the opposite. But that's what I wanted to compare it to. It feels and we're not getting into the debate about you know women girls mature quicker than boys <laughs> but it feels like in the women's game is it so what's the difference here though because we've had a spate of young winners Osaka Andreescu now Kenin uh they, they don't seem to have that I know we don't have 
yes, we've had Serena Williams, but we don't have the the dominant force of the big three that have dominated for so long. But why the difference? Why are we getting these these young? They're still girls at the age they are coming through and winning the biggest titles. Well, I I, I totally see what you mean, but I mean specifically to Kenan, I was going to say that in opposite to somebody like a Dominic Team or Zverev and all of those people that I listed, her game. If you just look at her shots, her serve, her forehand, her backhand, the game that she plays, yes, it is world-class, don't get me wrong. But is it the level of winning a slam when you compare it to a an, an on-form Osaka, Andrescu, I know she wasn't there, Serena, all these people that she's beaten, she's absolutely beaten them. But what I'm saying is that her mentality is so far ahead of her game that it's almost dragging it to to the level that she needs it to be at. As in, she she just has this will and this confidence of, yeah, I'm going to win a slam. Why not this one? It's just, it's always there. And the game is almost catching up. Now, similarly, Andrescu, mentally, her will is so far ahead of her physicality. That's why her body keeps breaking down because she keeps demanding more than her body's ready for. And it's, I find it really fascinating because so often it's the opposite. So often the, the, the main issue, when you look at, you've got these different areas when it makes up a player, you've got the, the physical side, the, the, you know, you could break it down even further, ta- technical, tactical, mental, emotional, normally the one that is lacking or the vast majority of the time is the mental side that's that's normally what it is that's why you could say Djokovic and all these players are so so much better but for Andrescu and Kenin for me the mental side is way ahead of everything else that is part of them as players which I find really fascinating and when it comes to just generally the younger younger players I'm not Actually, I'm not entirely sure because, I mean, Osaka, her game when she's on form is just absolutely huge, isn't it? it, it I feel like when she won, won her couple of Grand Slams, her game was there. She was there mentally, physically, she was pretty good. There wasn't really anything holding her back. Everything, you know, when people say everything comes together, I felt like that's what it was for Osaka. Everything was there. But actually, as I say, for Andrescu and Kenin, there are things that are not there, but they've won a slam anyway. But is it also, do you think, because, say, in the women's game, there is Serena Williams, I know we're going to chat about, but still going from Margaret Court's record, but people have accepted there are now vulnerabilities there and they can beat her, they can get the wins. And yes, they've still got to be in a Grand Slam final and believe they can do that. But in the men's game, say, Dominic Team, for instance, there's not just having the mentality to, I can win a Grand Slam, but I can beat Novak Djokovic to get that Grand Slam. There's, there's, it's almost like, do you know what I mean? So mentally, it's like a double whammy. Yeah, I mean, you don't, we don't have anyone, with the exception of Serena, and as you're saying, the aura about Serena now is maybe getting chipped away at. Like there are, there are chinks, there are vulnerabilities that weren't there before. In the men's game, if you think about the players that just have that aura, Nadal, particularly when it comes to the clay, Djokovic, uh, on all of the hardcore events. Um, you know, Federer still has a r- real presence and a real aura. Yes, okay, you can say that sits past Medvedev, Zverev team, they might have sussed him out a little bit and they might be up there with him. But in terms of everybody else, there's still this big aura. And actually, we don't really have that presence so much in the women's game. So it just feels a lot more up for grabs. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, 
I mean, I've mentioned this before, but about three years ago when I was talking to Gunter Bresnik, the former coach Dominic team, and the hype was building about team at Roland Garros, and he said that mentally he's not ready, and it really surprised me. And he said emotionally he's very immature. And it wasn't a damning thing for team. He was just being, he's a very honest talker. And he said physically he's there, has the game, but emotionally he's not ready to win a Grand Slam. And as we know, he didn't. He's been to two finals, 2018, 2019, the French are now here. But I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. But I spoke to, um, I spoke to Kenan. I actually started with what to call her because she's Sophia. Her nickname is Sonia. And I said to her, what would you like to be called? I said, because when I commentate on your matches, it's like there's three people on court because I've got, I've got who you're playing and then half the time it's Sonia and half the time it's Sophia. And she said, well, it's probably easier for my fans, Sophia. Right. She said, see, she said, probably better in commentary to call me Sophia. She said, but Sonia's my nickname. She compared it to, it's like Alexander and Sasha Zverev because she was, she was right. born in Russia um, in Moscow and the family moved they'd moved to America they moved to Russia when she was born so her family could have some support with a newborn baby with family and then they came back to America and she said it's just like you call him Sasha and it's Alexander she said that is the Sophia is, is Sonia in, in Russian but she said she's she's happy with both but she said for her fans Sophia's probably easier because I was thinking in commentary I'm just, it's a bit like Zverev I call him Sasha the guy, one of the guys I was working with calls him Alexander and it can get a bit confusing. But I, so I asked about that. The other thing I realized is on court, she's feisty. I mean, she's got kind of balls of steel. I mean, she is so, Oh, I was a little bit nervous about interviewing her. I know I could be her mum, and she's, she's 21. <laughs> and I was a bit like, she is the, sw- the thing that gets me. You talk about mentality to me. She's very young. Like if someone told me she was 18, I'd believe it because when I spoke to her, she was a very young 21-year-old. I've spoken to Naomi Osaka and, and Andrew and Coco Goff. I've spoken to 15-year-old Coco Goff, who there's certain mannerisms that remind you she's young, but the way she talks is very mature. To me, with Sophia Kenyon, it was the opposite. She felt she felt really young. You know, she was getting she like super excited, uh, as she should be, but in a video with Bethany Maddox Sangs, she was talking about going to Cartier because she didn't have to go to Tiffany anymore. And she kept putting her hands over her face and she couldn't believe that Andy Roddick had sent her a message. And oh, cool. and, it, and it's great that it was pure excitement. And she did all these interviews ahead of the final. And she was just giggling and excited and she was polite and, and happy to meet you and, and giving of her time. And it was so lovely to speak to her. And her father, Alexander Alex, who's her coach, he did a couple of press conferences and it, it was really great to to get to know them a bit more other than the backstory you read. And he said, you know, we made sacrifices, some of which I hope she'll never have to know about and to, to, to be here. And she was just really sweet. She was like really normal. But but compared to when she goes on court and she's slapping her thigh, and she looks like sometimes she's crying between points and she's yelling. And it it's it was really nice to kind of speak to her and think, what a lovely young lady. Like, Oh, that's so good to hear, though. Yeah, just really, because some of them you meet and you're like, oh, you're quite scary. Wow. <laughs> but as I say, it's interesting when you talk about mentally how mature she is. When I spoke to her, as I say, I, I found her I, not immature, but do you know what I mean? I found her a very young 21-year-old, which was actually quite endearing. Yeah, and I, I, 
I totally agree. It's so good to hear all of that, like that that she is like that. Because you know, I've only really I've seen some interviews and obviously what she she does on court. I've never spoken to her, but I don't think she's mature. But in the women's game, you you, you can get away with it far better. I mean, think about. If you think through the year, how many times we talk about a player maturing? Oh, they finally matured or they need to mature. Almost always you'll be talking about a male player because it's just not as necessary in the women's game. I mean, within reason. I mean, you, you have to be able to cope with certain aspects of life, but it is... Um, it's just it's different I mean we think about winners of slams that are not particularly mature I would say that Kenan is not particularly mature when she's on the court I mean sometimes you feel like you're you're, you're I mean, at the French Open particularly I know this she might have matured a lot in that space of time but she it was like watching a six-year-old throwing a tantrum sometimes stamping her foot you know tears coming out or whatever at a line call that was overruled by Hawkeye it's a computer like it's right you're you're not <laughs> it's just the way it is you think about Ostapenko also winning not a particularly mature uh player but still mentally very very strong to be honest I mean you even look at Osaka now I don't think she's particularly mature I mean sometimes she can get a little bit sulky a little bit down on herself quite negative I just think that it's not actually a necessity to win a slam for the women than it is for the men I mean you cannot name a single grand slam winner that isn't unbelievably mature and together um on the men's side in the last sort of 10, 15 years, possibly the exception of Safin. Even his, it was much more frustrations. I wouldn't really put that down to immaturity. So it, it, it's it's something that is an absolute must. You know, we talk about Zverev and it's just an absolute must. It has been for years. It's like, well, he has to mature. Like, that's just it. If he wants to win a slam, if he wants to be number one in the world, he has to mature. Uh, but for the women, I don't believe that that is a necessity. It's very helpful, but not necessity. Someone who is mature um, is Ash Barty. Yes. Didn't manage to go all the way and get the job done in Australia. She said afterwards, look, if someone had said you're going to win your first title in home soil, Adelaide, and then get to the semi-finals in Australia, I'd have, I'd have bitten your hand off. But it, it wasn't Barty losing necessarily that got the headlines. It was Barty's post-match press conference that seemed to seemed to get social media talking. Yes. Were you in it by any chance? Did you go? No, I wasn't in it. What? No, you're more experienced in terms of media, broadcasting, do's and don'ts, whatever. What did you think? So the thing that you're referring to is that she brought in her niece. Is that right? Very young niece, yep. essentially a baby, and sat her on her knee as she answered questions. I think at 12 weeks old, we can say baby. I think. Okay, baby. Uh, <laughs> I actually. Uh, again, again, you're more experienced than I am. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually, when I walked from our country box... I don't know where I was going, just wandering out somewhere, um, probably to find some food. There's the, the sort of the meeting, you know, the, the call area where the players gather and they go off to their um, courts or they meet up with friends after the match. And actually, when I walked past, I saw her holding a baby. So there was a big group of family and she was holding Olivia, the baby, right? Right. Um, and then... I was watching the I was watching the press conference, but I wasn't in it. And then I saw her sitting with her. I was I was quite surprised when I first saw it, but I didn't uh, I didn't think it was a problem. I, I I see from the point of view I've spoken to a lot of uh, journalist friends of mine who said well their words were it's unprofessional. You you know it's it's a place of work. Um, she shouldn't have. It stopped the tough questions being asked. My kind of response to that was why did it stop 
the tough question is being asked because, you know, the baby's not going to say, hey, hang on a second. She's not answering that. <laughs> it's, it's a tough question. She's not going to go there. I, I don't see how... Uh, I, I don't see how the baby... I mean, and again, I saw her holding the baby in that... It wasn't like a prop. She didn't suddenly think, how can I stop being asked difficult questions? Oh, baby, grab it, off we go. I had seen her with Olivia in the area with family and friends not long after she lost. So it was obviously... Sure. It was an immediate thing she did. She had a big smile on her face. They weren't running through point by point the match. They were just everyone together. Um, it, it, was it unusual? Yes. Did I expect it? No. Did I have a problem with it? No. I think that's where I come down. I can see their arguments it, it, to a degree that, yes, it's a place of, of work, but I don't know. I mean, some people got quite passionate about it, but I, I didn't really I didn't really see that in it. For, for me, it's one of those things that like, look, I'm sure it's not a deliberate ploy on her part and as as you say you know she was with the baby after the the match it was just probably a thing and she just thought oh you know I'm gonna bring the baby in but it would never happen after she wins a match unless it was potentially winning the whole tournament so it would not have happened it didn't happen and it wouldn't happen after her winning her quarterfinal or her fourth round or whatever right so I do I do think there's something in it, as in it is a it's a huge deflection. It totally changes the atmosphere in the room first and foremost, because you've got to remember, as the player, you always want it to be a nice, positive atmosphere, especially if you've lost. You want people to go easy on you, and uh, and so I think it just kind of maybe changes the atmosphere, softens things up. Things up. Look, it shouldn't stop people asking difficult questions. So I can kind of understand why it got some headlines and people were talking about it. I find it very interesting. I, I don't know. I'm just surprised they're allowed to do that. I just don't think, you know, when the people, you were, your colleagues were saying, um, oh, it's unprofessional. Well, it's just funny that they would allow a baby into a press conference. It's, yeah. And I, and I don't know anything about behind the scenes. I don't know if anything was said or if she asked or whether she just said, right, Olivia's with me and, and in we go. I, say, I don't know if anything happened behind the scenes and it, it was surprising to see and, and I do get my friend's sort of argument on it uh, and I spoke to a couple of people who are really quite strong on it saying it's unprofessional it's right but I just and it does change the atmosphere but I still think if you've got a question you're going to ask it and she can keep going back to this is what it's all about it, it it's fine it's this and it's that and you know maybe it was her way of softening things but I do remember right after the match she was holding the baby in that little area, in that public, not public, in the family area. And, you know, she had about 20 people around her and she just had the baby and she's only 12 weeks old. And it, it, it was quite an emotive thing at the time, actually. I didn't realise, I didn't realise it was as big as it was because I think when I saw it, I was like, okay, that's a bit strange, but okay, all right. Maybe, do you know what? Maybe it was just a comfort thing, as in she clearly yeah. is madly in love with her niece, which is awesome. And, you know, how cool to have Ash as your aunt, right? That's just like the best thing ever. And yeah. probably she's just lost a match. She's a bit heartbroken. She's had a great Australian summer, I think, all in all. Yeah. She won a title, got to the, the, the semis of the Australian Open, and maybe it was just her comfort thing she just wanted to kind of hug and cuddle the baby because that is yeah I don't know when you're not feeling super happy and you're a bit bummed that's kind of what you want to do maybe that was just all it was now do we have time to talk Serena I mean I don't have yes, I don't have school do pick up yet <laughs> I don't think and and can I just say that we have um we have a new listener who'd like to say hello to whole Andrew one. Leach a whole one I think he's a whole one um Andrew messaged to say he'd found us recently 
Um, and he listened to the latest episode and really enjoyed it. So thank you very much to Andrew, but and also to apologise to Andrew if this is only his second episode and we're starting talking about sports bra changing as a niche sport. Can I just apologise? You know, he might be into that. So <laughs> again, let's... Andrew, I'm apologising. <laughs> I just, I Hi, just want to apologise. I don't want to say this kind of stuff never happens because it largely does in episodes. There, there's there's something that comes up, but. Uh, Yes, for any new listeners that we have, we, we do go off topic a little bit, but mm-hmm. that really was one, wasn't it? But this one is, is very much on topic. It is Serena Williams. And once again, Naomi, her coach has been chatting away. He, I'm surprised that he hasn't been reprimanded more by Serena <laughs> over the years for the stuff that he's come out with. And then they put it back to her, don't they? And say, well, Patrick said this and she's gone. What is he talking about? <laughs> no. And also, that does not paint me in a great light. Uh, yes. Um, so, uh, Patrick Moritoglu just been reflecting, I think, on Serena's situation. Her lack of slam since she's... Slam title, anyway, since she's come back. And... So I've got one of the, the quotes here. Um, and, and and obviously, people will take headlines and turn this into something. One of the quotes is, we have to, quotes is, we have to face reality. She's positive she can make it. Otherwise, she wouldn't be on a tennis court anymore. She believes she can. I do too. But we have to change a few things. Maybe come back, and this is the interesting part, with a different angle, strategy and goals so she can make it. Yeah. Interesting. That's that's quite a big statement because when you... I've just, you know, 38 years of age, for any of us, whatever we do in life, for someone to suddenly say, right, we're going to effectively change goals and strategy the problem is her goal is a big goal it's an open goal and it's I assume it's pretty much the reason she's still playing tennis yeah I mean just to to win a slam at least one to equal or break Margaret Court's record is what is driving her and keeping her going so how do you how do you change the goal how can you how can you change a goal to make that happen do the goals become smaller Well, there isn't any other goal because the thing is, is that she's not miles away from it. She's made four slam finals and you might argue that she's getting further away from it. And I can see your point and I potentially agree, but that she just needs to win it. That's it. She's got so close. She's got to the final. She's been one win away. There's nothing else she can achieve. She's now won a title this year. So she's won a title in every decade. I mean, what on earth would you change the goals to? Well, do, do you make the goals smaller? But to what? She's already achieved it. If you go down a step and you say Grand Slam final, well, she's already done that. Win a title. She's already done that. I, I mean, I haven't got a clue here, but is it mentally, if it's just reaching the final, then are you looser when you get to the final? But then even if you change the goal, we all know it's not the real goal. Because, yeah, exactly. because <laughs> you can't kid because, yourself. <laughs> because the only goal is, th- I mean, she's 38. I, I don't know if she wants to expand her family, but as a woman, it's something that you have to be aware of at 38, that it gets largely, it gets harder. Scientifically, it gets harder. Um, and it was very traumatic the first time. So if she does want more children, you might have to speed that up a little bit, right? So, and that can take time. And there's only four times a year, now three left this year, of her equaling that record. And if most people are saying, look, Roland Garros, no, let's let's move on to Wimbledon. So you can always, I guess, look at strategy. I mean, I don't know what their strategy has been, but you can you can look at strategy. I'm not sure about approaching it with a different angle because for me in Australia, she looked the fittest she has done since coming back from having her baby. 
you know, she looked in in fine form and she won a title in the lead up. And I know it's a it was a different level of opponent that she'd face in a Grand Slam. But I thought fitness wise, she looked fabulous. You're not going to get any younger. All of us sadly have to face up to every year. It goes the other way. So I don't know. How can I think that's a difficult one? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't know how they would adapt the goals, really. Maybe the situation, like you were saying, maybe they actually thought that she would have achieved it by now. I think they would have done. Maybe what she signed up for was like, look, this is going to take two to three years. Now starting to look like, well, not only is this going to take longer than two to three years, it may not happen anyways. Is it worth the extra two to three years to maybe not even get it. Because before, she probably would have been thinking it's a sure thing, which you could totally understand. And now the chances are kind of like, well, it's you know 50-50 as to whether it's going to happen. And the sacrifice, the commitment you're going to have to continue to make for it to maybe happen. And I think they've both accepted that anything else is really just not worth the time, really. I mean, they've said it's a failure, right? If they don't, if she doesn't win a slam. So maybe that's what they're faced with. They're thinking, hang on a minute, 2020 thought this would be done by now. Um, and it's not. And not only is it not done, it seems to be slipping further away. Um, maybe some reevaluation needs to happen. But unfortunately, with all these things, the headline is Serena needs a reality check, says coach Patrick Moratoglu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how inflammatory is that? So I've just looked through social media and whatever language it was written in, all the headlines are Serena needs needs to face reality. Williams needs a reality reality check, says coach Patrick Moratoglu. <laughs> yeah, I mean mm. he hasn't said that. Uh, he said it in a mild way. They've got to change things, but as just a as a headline, that is quite that's a fearsome headline. And you know, I've said this. I think it I, it is going to get harder, especially as we've said. Unlike the men's game, when even if they're getting to Grand Slam finals, Medvedev and team in recent time they, times they haven't been able to cross the finish line, and they're facing one of the big three, Djokovic and, and Nadal, in those two cases, right? So. In the women's game, we, we haven't seen that fear or that worry. Kenin, Osaka, Andreescu, they've just gone there and bang, they've gone through in their Grand Slam champions. So that's the other thing that is the, these new kids on the block who are saying, I've got no fear and I'm going to come and do this. And in turn, they're giving other players confidence. So Kenin looked back to Andreescu and Osaka and thought, hang on, I can do this. So that they're sort of breeding confidence within each other, saying, you can do it, I can do it. While all the while, Serena Williams is battling this, she's battling mother time, she's she's battling other things. So it's going to get tougher. And I think that one of the biggest things for Serena is it, it's a choice, isn't it? It's her choice to be doing this. She has every yeah. reason to stop. She has had every reason to stop playing. She And every day is a choice to get up and train, to not be with your child, to not be with your family, to travel around the world. I mean, it's exhausting the amount of travel that they do, even though they fly a bit nicer than we do. It's still an exhausting thing to be doing. It's pretty relentless, even though Serena doesn't play that many tournaments. Um, to have that goal is all consuming for you, her, for, well, for her, for her husband, for her child. It is all consuming. That is the priority. And you have to choose for it to continue to be the priority. And is it worth it? Like that, that's the choice. And up until now, it has been worth it. Will it continue to be worth it? I think so for the 2020 season, for sure. I think that she will still go for it. Um, but I think possibly the end of the year, she might reevaluate. Whether she'd step away, I don't know. But... 
she will only play if she has a realistic chance of winning slams. But maybe that's part of the strategy change to play more tournaments because in the years gone by, we've got used to her playing not an awful lot of tournaments, then pretty much shutting down her season after the US Open. Maybe if if this is the final thing left and there's the sort of retirement at the end of all this, maybe she plays a few more tournaments. Maybe it's one last push, sacrifice a bit more family time, sacrifice because she said that she hasn't been apart from her daughter for a, for a night, which is amazing with all the travel. I know she can afford to take the baby and help and her husband with her, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe that's it. Maybe for this year, make a few more sacrifices. I'm not, as I say, I'm not saying physically she's in great shape, but I think mentally she has to get into that place as well when maybe she's not rushing home to do bath time or do you know what I mean? Just maybe almost lock herself away not for the whole year, that'd be difficult, but maybe get into kind of lockdown mode and take one final charge at it. Yeah, it's a big, big decision, big sacrifice, right? Is it worth it? Especially because now it is not guaranteed that she's going to win it anyway. Like we have not seen tennis from her since she came back that is that good that nobody could touch her. We haven't seen it. We saw it plenty before, um, but we haven't seen it recently. So do you make that sacrifice when it's actually just become less likely than it was last year? Well, we will see. We'll see if there's any reaction to those comments. We'll see if there's any change to schedule. If there's any, You can imagine next time Serena Williams interview, and she's with the Fed Cup, isn't she, this week? Um, can you imagine a question? So how are you going to change your goals? I mean, surely, surely, surely she is going to be asked about this because she will be put up for press well, they normally all are, aren't they, in the Fed Cup, for the press conference there. And they might get the, yes, this is not about that, this is Fed Cup. But I imagine there might be a few people asking her, and you are working on that Fed Cup tie, am I right? I am, yes. I'll be doing USA versus Latvia. So that could be uh, a good one. Serena will be there, yes. I won't be asking the questions, just be commentating. Right. But um, to be fair, I think she's pretty used to the fact that she gets this often around Grand Slam time where she just kind of has to roll her eyes and go, Patrick, what have you done now? (laughs) Right. And then she has this barrage of questions because Patrick said something. So she's used to it. It's been happening for years. Well, yeah, I just hope someone's let her know what he's been saying. So you are (laughs) USA Latvia. I am Spain, Japan. Awesome. With Naomi Osaka playing for Japan and Carlos Suarez Navarro, who retires at the end of this year, um, playing for Spain. They're the kind of lead names in those ties. Uh, And this is all about qualifying for the Fed Cup finals in Budapest. Yes. Um, I'm going to go now because it's nearly time for me to pick up my children. And I just think I have to give myself more time today. Yeah, I know. Definitely do that. Be on time. They'll be thrilled to see you, I'm sure. I'm going to go and start uh, thrashing out the structure of my uh, sports bra changing tournament. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, you can await your invitation to participate. I, oh, to participate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm busy. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. That's I think I'm, enough. I mean, can you, that's the most ridiculous <laughs> idea. That's like a wet t-shirt competition. That's the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard of. <laughs> I think. Yeah, definitely. I just, right. I, I'm almost, I'm almost, normally I come up with the daft stuff. That is right. I'm going now. I'm going to take my jet lagged self and I'm going to stop this conversation. I'll let you go and think about your idea for your new niche sport. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.